Welcome to another edition of Practical Reliability, insights on the practical implementation of holistic reliability, brought to you by Reliability X, the DNA of success. All right, so we're back with uh, another episode of Practical Reliability, and man, I'm excited today uh, about our guest speaker. Um, our guest speaker here, he's the CEO of Silent Partner Marketing. He's the founder of the Whiskey Patriots. He's the national spokesman for law enforcement today. I mean, the resume goes on and on and on. Um, and he also regularly uh, guests on, on Fox talking through uh, some of the issues that we see today. Uh, but today, uh, we connected more over our passion for skilled trades. And so today, we're going to focus on the skilled trades, what we see some of the dilemmas, what some of the solutions, and those types of things. So we would like to welcome with us today, Kyle Reyes. Kyle, we thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, Kyle, we know statistically, um, as we were talking about earlier, uh, by 2020, they predict 31 to 32 million open jobs due to retirement, um, which is a major gap in this country, 32 million jobs to fill, um, and no technical skills um, of the equivalent that you can just hire off the street. Um, I know that we both probably agree that that's a major problem, especially for the economy. Um, but do you have any ideas around how we can bring more awareness to the issue that we're going to be facing here in a few years? So, I mean, I think the first problem is that we've got to understand the culture shift that's happened in America. And I, you know, I think it's, it's safe at this point to talk about millennials and then generations that are younger than them, because that's really the rising demographic that's going to fill some of these open spots or, or that we need to fill those spots. Right. right. And so a millennial, is widely believed to, to fall under the bracket of anyone born from 1980 to 2000. Yep. And so that puts them right now anywhere from, I mean, my God, what, 39 years old? Right. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't think of millennials as being 39 year old. Right. Um, but that is the demographic that we're talking about here. And so we have to understand what happened there first to understand how we can sort of fill these, these gaps and take care of these problems that we're facing mm -hmm. down the road. And I'll tell you, everybody likes to talk about the, the generation being, you know, people joke about it being the snowflake generation or whatever, and the participation trophies and everything. But I'll tell you what, man, I'm a millennial by definition. Yep. And nobody at any point when I was growing up, at no point did I or any other millennial say, hey, I want a participation trophy. Right. What happened was that our parents' generation wanted a, a life for us that was even better than the life that they had. Right. And so I think in a lot of cases, they, they went, so far that they encouraged, um, they didn't want to see uh, jobs like they had. They didn't want to see uh, plumbers and carpenters and, and tradesmen. They wanted to see doctors and astronauts and everything. And so with the rise of technology, with what was becoming a video game generation, they pushed on that technology. They pushed on higher education. They pushed on you could be whatever you want to be, ignoring the fact that little Johnny was eating glue sticks when he was still in fourth grade. <laughs> And so we, we pushed harder and harder and harder, and we raised the bar 
so far that our generation started looking down on these positions. And I think it was a huge mistake because I don't know about you, man. The last time I tried to hire a plumber, it took four days. It was like 225 bucks an hour out here in Connecticut. And so this, this gap that's been created, I think has been created because so many people sort of looked down upon these positions. And I think it's high time that we start looking at them as being opportunities as millennials for our kids down the road. Right. I agree. And I, I think you touched on a couple things that um, I know that George and myself agree with and, and have been trying to express. And that's one, the college stigma that exists because every one of us were pushed to go to college. That's the way to be successful in this country. Um, that was kind of the stigma that's out there and it still is today. And knowing yep. that, like you said, uh, what the plumbers are making now and what the electricians are making now, um, you can go to a two-year technical college and come out of school with basically no debt and make quite a bit more money than Absolutely. most of these people. And they're coming out of school in debt. They can't find jobs. And their um, their majors are getting lighter. and lighter. We're making up majors to fit underwater basket weaving right. for, for men that no longer know how to change a tire on a car. If AAA <laughs> right. didn't exist, we would have people stranded all across America. I mean, right. and listen, I'm not one to talk, right? Like I can, I can change a tire, but overall I'm about as mechanically inclined as a box of hair. Right. Yet some of those basic skill sets that we need to survive, we were taught, I mean, my, my dad busted his butt growing up and he taught us how to change our own brakes and how to change our own oil. But the other thing too is that advancements in technology, my dad's generation used to actually do that. They would change their own oil. They right. would change their own brakes. Well, you know what? The the labor cost or the opportunity cost for me to change my own uh, oil at this point when I could go get it done for 30 bucks, it, it's a no-brainer. And so we've gotten soft. We've, we've lost a lot of that. I'll tell you, you want something real big, man, real deep. I'm going to tell you the moment in society when this all changed. There was one moment. Nobody likes to talk about this. It's when they added the save button on video games. Yeah. So when I was growing up, we had ColecoVision, and then we had Atari. Yeah. And, man, to get to level 14, you would have to hustle your face off. You'd have to work your butt off and play games for like seven hours and then you got up to level 15 and you died and you had to start that whole game all over again and you had to work (laughs) for it again and you had to earn it again and then nintendo came along guess what you could save that game at level 16 and so when you died it's okay you got to start again at level 16 and so i'm convinced man in that moment we stopped having to work as hard for it anymore things just got a little bit easier and our parents generation wanted life to be easier for us they didn't want us to have to labor with our hands or 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 toil and and do 60 hour weeks and the reality of it is that if you look at what's happening in society now you have kids who are working 60 or 80 hours a week when they get out of college because everybody's got the same mediocre skills. Everyone's got that same degree. Everyone's got $150,000, $200,000 in student loans, and the job market has shifted. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think like for my generation, we were the, I'm going to be the first one in my family to graduate from college, right? Yeah. And so we, we strived for that. And now the, yep. the generation behind it became an expectation. Well, I graduated from college, so you got to graduate from college, right? right. And, and now there's this totally. massive gap that, yeah. that, you know, there's two pieces to trying to close this gap. One is the awareness of it, right? Because it's still, I, I would say, not really a prevalent 
issue in society that at least not as much as it should be. And then the second piece is, right. well, we need we need some solutions. What are the solutions to right. to this scenario? I think it's two pieces, right? I think that on one level, we don't understand how detrimental it's going to be. And at the same time, yep. I think we do, but we don't want to do anything about it. Well, you're a smoker. You don't quit, right? Like, right. Because you, you didn't get the effects yet, right? So, right. Yeah. so it's, not, it's not much yeah. different than that. And so to be more proactive, I guess the question would be is how do we bring more awareness to this issue? Um, what, what's a way to do that? I mean, how do we get so, people, and not just awareness, but we have them actually taking steps to close the So as a, as a marketer, I'm going to say social influencers are key in this, right? right? So John Ratzenberger. Great example. Uh, John, for, for those of your listeners who don't know who John is, he's, uh, he's very well known for, uh, he was Cliff on Cheers, right. um, but he's also the voice on a lot of Disney Pixar films, <clears throat> uh, Toy Story, Monsters, Cars, and everything. But John was a master carpenter. Yep. That's where John got his start. And so John is, is very vocal and outspoken about the trade. He's, he's a good friend of mine. He's a great guy. And he will spend more time talking to you about the trades than he will Hollywood because he's so passionate about it. Right. We need more of John's, but we need younger John's. And right. we need people to show that it's not just that it's okay, but it's sort of cool. I mean, we need uh, attractive female social influencers to put up posts about how hot and bothered they get about seeing dudes doing handiwork again. Right. And I, I understand, I'm well aware that that sounds super sexist and, and, uh, you know, oh my God, we're taking advantage of the ideas of men wearing no shirts, hammering things, but like there's something sort of primal about the ability to provide by working with your hands. That's just the reality of it. And so knowing that we're in the social driven world where you can have Massive music festivals called Firefest that end up uh, being promoted by Ja Rule and turn out to be nothing more than uh, FEMA tents set up on an island. Sure. But it was so heavily promoted through social influencers that everybody wanted to be a part of that. We need to understand that narrative and we need to leverage that to show that not only is it okay to get back into the trades, but we should be encouraging it because it can provide a spectacular life for your family. Hammerfest 2020. Yeah, Hammerfest. There yeah. we go. We gotta... <laughs> like it's that. like the old... I uh... mean, we could even bring MC Hammer in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you, could, you know, like the uh, lumberjack competitions and that type of stuff. I mean, you watch that. It's, it's amazing, right? I mean, these guys, some of the competitions that they do, and I think we should do that with some of our skilled trades is to get more competitive totally. with it. And uh, but also, you know, we've been talking a lot about the gamification, and um, sure, you know, had an interesting interview yesterday uh, with the gentleman that brought up, you know, if, if we were able to gamify some of this stuff, it might make it more attractive. But my, you know, so you kind of struggle with how do you gamify getting somebody into manufacturing, but at the same time. Uh, if there was an app for it, I'm sure everybody would be doing it. <laughs> so it's like, so you know. I'll tell you, like I, I struggle with that for two reasons. One, like, yeah, there's uh, again, as a marketer and as an advertiser, there's a lot to be said for gamification. Right. However, in my experience, a 22 year old 
who's sitting around on his iPhone playing games for 16 hours a day is doing it because he is soft right. because America has gotten soft and he would be afraid. He would be just as afraid of a hammer as he would be of a Glock. Right. And so, or you know, the the, we have, <laughs> have <the sun. laughs> we have, uh, you know, we've, we've got this other problem in society right now where everything is associated with the toxicity of manliness. Right. And, you know, you don't have to be a man to be involved in the trade. Some of the greatest skilled tradespeople that I know are women, right. but, but we're, we're snubbing our noses at this and we're looking down on it and we're making it out like it's a subpar life. When when it's not, and I'll tell you what, man, we had a, a real big snowstorm out here a couple of years ago that knocked out power for a week, and we might as well have had an EMP take out the entire power grid for a year. The way the people acted out here, people didn't know what the heck to do with themselves, and so uh, you know, a soft society is a dangerous society. One where someone you know they they don't know the difference between a Phillips head and a flathead, we're in some trouble, man. Yeah. <laughs> we are in some trouble there. And so I get the idea of hyper-targeted advertising, getting the right message to the right person at the right time. I would simply question whether the right person is that person playing video games. Right. I think that they may be too far lost. And I, I don't disagree with you on that. My problem <clears throat> is, is there's so many of them and there's so many gaps. So given our background working in manufacturing, you either didn't fill a position or you found a body and threw them in there. And right. And so my concern is is there's many organizations now that are starting to bring back apprenticeships and they're starting to do some of the training but not on the level that it needs to be done. Um and yep. and we've shifted from the apprenticeships and investing in our people to now um worried about the capital spend dollar and the stock price. So um, sure. And then the shift in the 80s when venture capitalism started taking over, you got rid of the engineers um, and those types of people that would run these plants to promoting the sales yep. guy. And they have no yep. understanding on the technical side of how to run a business. They understand you know, how to cut costs, and the only idea they have of cutting costs is cut the headcount and slash the budget. Totally. Not understanding. Automate that. as much as you can. Right. Operate on this this lean right. manufacturing mindset, and, and uh, you know, yep. basically screw the guy at the bottom, and then ultimately end up screwing yourself because right. you realize you've eliminated so many of those skilled positions that you have no one to train the replacements. Right. And people see the elimination of those positions, and they say, "Why am I going to get into that? My job just going to be lost." Right. You know, the struggle Ooh. is it, it, this is going to fix itself, right? At, at some point, we'll be so far behind the eight ball that we're going to have no choice but to funnel people into skills trades. And that's and as you yep. indicated, Joe, it's starting to happen now. You've got more and more apprenticeship programs. You've got a bunch of spoke and wheel um, efforts that are going on where, where companies are going out to colleges, technical colleges, and helping to fund programs. But the question becomes, how far behind the eight ball are we already? And what will the impact be before we catch up? And how do we help reduce right. that? And your return on investment isn't immediate. And we're a world of impatience. If it something doesn't happen in three months, it doesn't work, we're trashing it. And you're talking well, about I think training I'm an individual. It takes a year or two to have that skill set needed just to put them out in the field. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here and, and sort of flip things around a little bit and say one of the problems is that in the – 
uh, in the skilled trades arena, we're not teaching these guys business because, you know, we're only teaching them how to swing a hammer. We're not teaching them how to run the business and hire more tradesmen. And so you're not seeing scalability of these companies. I mean, for me to be able to get a contractor in Connecticut to do anything, whether it be plumbing or electrical or construction at the house, it's a nightmare because these guys, it's, it's uh, what is it, feast or famine, right? So right. They'll, they'll have a project and they won't call anybody back. They won't nurture any leads. They won't do any business development. And then they're flipping out when it's wintertime and they have no business coming in, but it's because they didn't understand how to run a business and how to swing a hammer. Well, they're trying and to so, be the accountant, the lawyer, the, the person who's fixing you, fixing your right. plumbing. Right. The salesman. Yeah. They're and trying then, to do everything, right? Well, I would agree with and, you and that's 110%. Why I, think that, um, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. I, I just think that's why we need more business training for these yeah. guys, too, on that side. Yeah, and so that's honestly has been a major focus of mine. Uh, when I do training and teach people is teaching them the business side of what they do and how that connects to the overall skill set they provide to the organization. So there's no devil's advocate there, man. I am 100% aligned with you. We lack the business cool. knowledge needed to drive our businesses to the next level. And, and Totally. Uh, for sure. I mean, our focus w with our business is it's half of it is the business side. The other half is the technical side. And so we have that split, and and we fully get that, man. We're right there with you. What about uh, I, I was worried I was going to have to buy you a beer to apologize. No, we, you no. can still do that. You but. can buy us a beer anytime you want. <laughs> We're never turning that down. I'm <laughs> offended, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, I got my block too, man. We can go out and have some fun. So uh, that's great. The other thing is, I think it's slightly picking up steam, but not to the point to where I think it should, is like coaching and mentoring contracts, especially with mid-level management, right? It's been my observation in most of these organizations, the CEO's a great guy, and the frontline people are great people, but everything in between is a lot of the problem, because they're driving 80 to 90% of the decision-making in these companies. And so yep. if, if I fear that I'm going to lose my job, I'm not going to shoot you straight, right? Which I will. I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> I'm that guy that gets fired. But anyway, most people won't shoot it straight in fear of, of losing their job. So they're going to take the negative and try to find a couple positive things out of it, spin it, make it look good to tell their boss, right? And, and it just of continues course. to go up the ladder because we don't want to be honest about how bad we truly do suck. And... Yeah. And statistically, from the data that I have that we've gathered just being in business and manufacturing, we're about 30 to 32 percent efficient in in our processes. But we tell. Yeah. Right. So plant managers have to report every year to the Federal Reserve their capacity. And the numbers from the Federal Reserve say that we're 70 to 80% utilized, which is a farce. That's There's crazy. a huge gap in between, but we're lying, and no one wants to talk about that, right? But we're lying yep. about our numbers because uh, we're padding them to the point to where we're saying, well, this is what we can actually do, So, and which isn't true, right? They designed a piece of equipment to run, for example, 10,000 units an hour, and once it gets in operation, because it was so poorly designed, you're getting maybe 3,000 units out of it. So that's like going to the gas station, paying for a full tank of gas, and only getting a third of your gas. 
or going to McDonald's and getting a third of a cheeseburger when you pay for the whole thing. But we just allow this stuff to happen. And, and totally. Then, you know, we, we start the blame cycle with the blame culture that we're in and find somebody to blame for it instead of self-reflection and trying to solve that issue. Yep. I mean, it's not limited to your industry, though, brother, if that I, makes I you feel any better whatsoever. Yeah. We see it in every single industry. Um, we're in a we're in a culture in America right now where people want to shirk responsibility. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is, is due to upbringing. It's due to social media. I mean, we could point to a million different things. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, we see so we see the same thing right now. And uh, we do a lot of work in the law enforcement arena and we see a tremendous amount of vacancies in law enforcement across the country. I want to say Dallas is down like 1,400 officers. Oh, wow. we, we are seeing huge recruitment issues nationwide. And, uh, you know, again, very different industry, right. number of very different reasons for that. But recruitment where people have to be in a, a position where they are challenged physically, um, where training doesn't necessarily take place in the same capacity that it should, and people want to shirk responsibility for the root of the problem. It's it's not just your industry, and there are always going to be stats and numbers to show that things are better than they are. Right. What what will ultimately determine everything? The market determines everything, right? Yep. When in two years from now you can't get a plumber or an electrician or a carpenter or anything like that, the market determines everything, and it will turn. <laughs> it will have to correct itself by default, right. because those seventy percent uh, numbers you know, in, in a variety of different stats and, and areas of analysis all go out the window when none of that matters because you can't find the labor that you're looking for. Right. Yeah, and there'll be somebody there to fill the niche. There always is, and then it'll grow. Uh, pri- first, yep. the prices will go nuts because you'll have one yep. plumber in your area instead of 10. So now you're paying two hundred thousand yep. dollars. Not a if year they for... didn't get any business training. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's why there's only they're just one. not going to show up for a month, <laughs> but they're still going to charge. Yeah, yeah. they're still going to charge you for it. Yeah. We're gonna have a lot of backed up toilets. Well, yeah. I mean, instead of two hundred fifty dollars an hour, now it's gonna be a thousand bucks an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I mean, so it's those types of things. So Joey touched on a point around around you know honesty in business and 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 what's going on in in middle management. And I know, you know, you know, not only yourself, Kyle, but the organizations that you work with directly are, are have very strong opinions and viewpoints and and you don't back down from what those happen to be. And, and out in the industry, we tend to have folks that, you know, they they are just yes men to senior leadership or they just go with the flow, knowing that either there's a better way to do things and they're just not standing their ground what do you say to folks yep. that aren't, I guess, I guess for lack of better terminology, they're not, they're not, they, they lack the integrity to be true to themselves. How can we, how can we change those types of things? Well, I mean, if you ask what I would say to them, I would tell them to grow a pair, but I'm also, this is why I'm completely unemployable. I mean, if God forbid the economy ever completely tanked and I was out of business and had to apply for jobs, I would, you know, when they were like, what's your greatest weakness? I would say, you can't hire me. I'm, totally unemployable. Um, but you know, and, but the reason I, I joke, but the truth of it is that when we sit down with a prospective client for the first time, we have a very candid conversation where I flat out say to them, listen, we are not here to tell you what you want to hear. We are not here to make you feel good about yourself or to feel good about the company. We're not here to be boys or friends with you. We're here to make you money. We're here to make you profitable. 
And so do not put us in the room with a bunch of middle management that's just going to be trying to cover their own butts because nothing good is going to come of this. Right. Now, we become very close with almost all of our clients. We become very good friends with them. But it's because we set that expectation early on. Right. Now, I also, you know, it's not lost on me that we're in a very different position. If, if a client fires us, it's very different than a company firing an employee because that employee doesn't have other clients to, to put food on the table like we do. Right. But I think that those conversations have to happen very early on. I also think that we have an overabundance of middle management in America right now of people who, um, you know, are nowhere near as productive as they could be because they spend so much time running in circles trying to cover their own butts. Right. And so I, I think that this has to start at the top. This has to start in the highest levels of leadership, demanding uh, accountability from the team, but also coming into it with humility and a tremendous amount of self-awareness. We are lacking self-awareness in this country. Where yep. People want to feel good about what they've built. They want to feel good about their team. They want to feel good about their company. And they will do it at the expense of their own company. You know, interesting point. We, we talk about skills trades and all the training that has to happen there. But I think one of the things we didn't really touch on is a lot of folks in the, in the United States have been promoted from within, right? And we, we have this promotion from within mentality, but we lack the training. So we promote somebody from the floor to a supervisor, give them no training how to be a supervisor. From supervisor to manager, give them no training in how to be a manager. From manager to director, give them no training in how to be a director. And then eventually they get to a level right. of incompetence and now they have to cover their ass because they just lack the capability to, to do the job. Right. So, right. so I think there's, you know, Absolutely. it's not necessarily a personal attack on any individual. It's just, that's the way it's been. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. Awesome. So one more thing we touched on technology. Do you think that, because of the convenience that technology gives us. For example, you used to have to get up and turn the knob on the TV. Now I can use my Apple Watch and sit on the couch and turn channels and do those types of things, right? So there's all the... And, and the selling point is the convenience, right? We put in smart homes, we do all sure. this stuff because it's convenient and we like it and it's cool. Um, but do you think that has a lot to play with uh, kind of the way that we are today as a society? Uh, no, I don't. And I, I think everybody would expect me to say yes, but here's, here's why I would say no. It's no different than looking back when they said that when the TV came along, radio was going to go out of business, right. right? Or when the internet came along, they said TV was going to go out of business. There are always going to be advancements in technology and in terms of, uh, of trying to adapt to consumer lifestyles that simply opens up other areas of opportunity. It simply means that the industry has to continue to evolve and advance and grow or die. Now, at the core of that is somebody still has to create this technology. So sure, maybe those positions are shifting and changing. And do I think that automation uh, at scale on the production side of things could lead to problems down the road? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But I think the bigger problem is that we're so stuck in this mindset of, of like, well, we don't want change. We don't want change. Everything has to be the way that it's always been. And we're going to fight it tooth and nail. Like you can't fight consumer behavior. Right. Consumers are going to change. It's, you know, I think back to, uh, there was a study on, uh, you guys remember Blockbuster, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Blockbuster had an yeah, opportunity to acquire. 
Yeah, and yeah. and they're savage on uh, Twitter. It's spectacular. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. um, but <laughs> they had an opportunity to acquire Netflix for $25 million. So they hired an outside consulting firm, and that consulting firm did all these studies, and they turned around and they recommended that they not go through with the acquisition. And when asked why, they said, well, you know, when we polled people who come into Blockbuster, they said they like the chance that they're going to run into their neighbor on a Friday night when renting a movie. Well, you know what I like when renting a movie? Wearing my boxers. Yeah, that's what I like. And then running and, into and your so neighbor. they that... and, and the people, the people you <laughs> no. pulled were the people I mean, going into single. the store already, right? Yeah, the people <laughs> like, you pulled. Like you didn't pull people not using Blockbuster. <laughs> well, right, right. <laughs> you it, it you pulled the people in the store at the onset. Yeah. Oh and God. so you know they blew this opportunity to acquire what became a multi-billion-dollar empire because of the chance that you know they they didn't want to change. And that's the problem that we have. When I was 17 years old, I got my first cell phone. And we had, you know, 25 text messages a month on the shared family plan. And then after that, it was like 25 cents a text. And my mom called me one day after school, and I hit ignore on her and sent her to voicemail. And I sent her a text and said, hey, what's up? And then my dad called me. He was pissed. I don't think they pissed on the podcast, but I just did twice. Sorry. And I hit ignore on him. I sent him a text. said, dad, what's up? And he left me a voicemail and he said, when your mother and I call you, you pick up the damn phone. You have some respect. Right. right. And I responded via text and I said, okay, sorry, I'll see you in a little bit. And, <laughs> and then two years later, you know, flash forward, they're sending me text messages, uh, all capital letters, two page long text messages at a clip. <laughs> right. But, you know, consumer behavior shifted. Right. It adjusted It adapted. And then, you know, so we were on Facebook because you had to have a uh, college email address to be on Facebook. And then you didn't. So who came to Facebook? The parent generation. Right. So where do we go? We went over to Twitter. Who followed us to Twitter? Our parents. So we went to Instagram. Who followed us to Instagram? Our parents. We went to Snap. They came yeah. to Snap. I mean, you just got to follow the eyeballs of the younger generation. I'm a Reddit guy. So that's... So. I, but I'll leave that I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but if you look back, like look back to tribal times, right? Like right. everybody's always looking for better ways of doing things. So we can't be so stubborn that we put our damn heads in the sand and say, well, we're not going to ship. We're not going to adjust. I hate Nest. I hate, uh, you know, the, the wireless iPhone technology that lets people put their lights on because they're not going to hire me to put their like. This is just dumb. It, it, it's a way of ignoring the shift that's going to happen, whether or not we're there. The, I think the bigger thing that we need to look at, I think the bigger issue is uh, this, this push for ridiculously high minimum wages for no skill set jobs is fueling that automation. You know, the push for $15 an hour minimum wage to work at McDonald's, yeah. uh, nice job. Now we have kiosks at right. all the McDonald's yeah, we know in where that's Connecticut. Good. So. Yeah. Right. And so that's that's what is fueling it more than a shift in consumer behavior, because that shift in consumer behavior is a constant. You can account, you can assume and know that people are going to want to make their own lives easier. People are inherently lazy. Mm -hmm. But we know that that hasn't changed over time. What is changing is is how we adjust and adapt with it. And are we going to be stodgy, crotchety old people who say we're not going to change? Or are we going to look at ways of adjusting? the skilled trades to continue to grow and evolve with it while still maintaining truth and core values. Yeah, for sure, man. I think uh, we're all uh, in agreement here. So Kyle, we appreciate your time, man. So tell us, uh, you got any new projects going on? Anything uh, that's interesting? 
We got some fun stuff. We're working on uh, uh, part of our DNA as a marketing agency. Most of our family and friends from all of our employees are in law enforcement, and uh, and we've seen sort of what's happening there with the attacks on these guys. We're we're losing far too many, whether they be to ambushes or car wrecks or to their own hands. And so we wanted to do more to help. And so we're uh, we are merging in a more formal fashion with law enforcement today, which is the largest online home of law enforcement supporters in America. We reach just over 25 million people a month, awesome. and we are rolling out a, a really cool platform that's bringing together not just cops, but but just patriotic Americans, uh, emergency responders, veterans, tradesmen together with the businesses that are looking to reach them and support them as well. And so we're rolling out what's basically like the Netflix of the law enforcement community with a whole big business end to it too. So, um, so that's coming out, but, uh, if anyone wants to stay up to date, they can just hit me up on Facebook. It's at Kyle Reyes CEO, or they could just hunt me down on LinkedIn. Um, just Kyle Reyes on LinkedIn. Yeah. I can vouch for the LinkedIn working. That's how we got. You didn't stalk, <laughs> it you didn't stalk his Facebook. I stalked his Facebook, but he wouldn't <laughs> answer me. So. <laughs> I'm I'm, yeah, I'm sorry, man. We got I don't a lot even of messages. Use, I don't even use Facebook. <laughs> so, so, uh, so that's a whole other discussion. But anyway. Awesome. Well, well, we'll, we'll discuss that when you come up for whiskey. Yeah, sounds good, man. We'll that, that that sounds like a plan. Yeah, actually. we'll definitely yeah. do that. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, well thank you so much for your time today, Kyle. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I'm sure our listeners are going to get a ton out of this and and have. And hopefully they support uh, they support your organizations and 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 support everything that deals with patriotism and supporting our law enforcement agencies 100%. I appreciate that, guys. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope everyone continues to uh, to grow from this. And God bless y'all, man. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. questions on this or any other topics, email us at ask at reliabilityx.com. This has been another episode of Practical Reliability brought to you by Reliability X, the DNA of success.